Good evening, church. I hope you're having a wonderful Wednesday night. Thank you so much for tuning in with us to go through our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Resurrection Hope. And uh, this evening we'll be covering verses 42 through 44, just three verses, but we're actually going to begin reading in verse 35, which was the text from last week's sermon, uh, so we can get a little bit of the context uh, together. Uh, let's read that together now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 44. And if you don't have your Bibles, pause this and go grab your Bible and join together as we open God's Word together. Here's what the Word of God says. Paul says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? You fool! That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and that which you sow you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body uh, just as he wish, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another." There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. You thankful for the word this evening? I know I am as well. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his wonderful word. Father, we thank you for this word. We pray you'd use it in our lives to make us more like your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you've promised us in this text that we will have perfect bodies, bodies fit for eternally existing with you. Uh, help us, Lord, to reject um, the culture's demand for perfection and image and, and a body that is created to be decaying and wearing down. Lord, help us to look forward to that day of glorification where we um, will be made perfect in your image and then Lord, when we will be given new bodies and bodies made perfect. But we love you. We thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I saw a post online some, uh, sometime last year that submitted the following statement and in the question. It said this, it said, someone recently advised, your body is not a temple, it's an amusement park, enjoy the ride. What would be a good name for a theme park, uh, a theme park ride based on the average American body? Uh, and as you can guess, the, the answers were quite humorous. That was the question. If you, had to, uh, if you had to name a theme park ride based on a typical American's body, what would you name it? Well, here are some. Uh, sedentary Mountain, uh, Calesto Roll, Plumper Cars, Tunnel of Love Handles, Tragic Kingdom, <laughs> The Expanding Universe, or my personal favorite, 
sorry ride closed due to poor maintenance. <laughs> One gets the impression from that list that not many people are satisfied with their bodies. We recognize that our bodies are not perfect. In fact, most would agree, would readily agree that our bodies are a far cry from perfection. Of course, our idea of perfect may be a little skewed, right? When we talk about the perfect body, most of us probably think of broad shoulders or uh, six-pack abs, if you're a guy anyway. I'm smart enough not to presuppose what some would consider a perfect female body, but Paul describes perfect bodies a little bit differently than we would in our culture. Uh, Paul's not concerned with muscle mass or youthful smooth skin, but he does agree that these bodies in this age are far from perfect. Uh, Paul describes the perfect body as imperishable, uh, glorified, raised in power, and spiritual. Paul states in our passage that our resurrected bodies will be perfect. And that's the big idea of our text this evening. Our bodies will be perfect. You and I, if we're in Christ, tied to Christ, we will have perfect bodies. So let's hear exactly what Paul means uh, and, and what does that look like? Perfect bodies. Well, in verse 42, he begins with this statement. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. That so points backwards to last week's analogy. And, and really, we looked at two analogies last week, right? Paul's getting ready to apply those two analogies Brother Brock uh, unpacked for us last week. And if you recall from that lesson, Paul uses the analogy of a seed to teach that there will be continuity and transformation between our current and resurrected bodies. Uh, just as a plant comes from the seed, likewise, resurrected bodies would come from our current bodies. There will be continuity. An acorn was planted and an oak springs forth. Not an acorn was planted and an ostrich springs forth. That's not what happens. Well, our resurrected bodies spring forth from these bodies and there will be continuity. Uh, they will be similar. But just as a seed doesn't get bigger, but is transformed into another mode of existence, namely a plant, in the same way our current bodies are transformed. So an acorn is planted and an oak springs forth, not an acorn is planted and a bigger acorn sp springs forth. That's not what happens. So our resurrected bodies will be changed from these current bodies. Here's the second analogy that Paul uses. Uh, God will give us a resurrected body that is fit for our eternal existence with him. It's a body that's fit for its purpose. So just as earthly bodies differ from heavenly bodies according to their design and purpose, so our resurrected bodies will differ from our current bodies according to their design and purpose, right? Giraffes have bodies suitable for their environments and their purpose, Stars have bodies suitable for their environments and their purpose. Giraffes have long necks. Stars have incredible mass. Each has a body appropriate for its purpose. 
our resurrected bodies will be perfect for our eternal existence in a transformed world where we will dwell with the God of the universe forever. We looked at that at length last week. Uh, The reason I'm mentioning that is because Paul in this first sentence is saying, this is what it will be like in our resurrected bodies. And so in the rest of our passage today, Paul proceeds to apply this these two analogies with four sets of contrast. He is going to compare the perishable with the imperishable, the dishonorable with the glorified, the sown, the body raised in power with the body raised in weakness, and the natural with the spiritual. We need to look at each one of these in turn. Let's begin with the first in verse 42. The second sentence says, it is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. Literally, the Greek is even more simple than that. The Greek is just sown perishable, raised imperishable. That's all is there. Sown in corruption, ruined in destruction, raised incorruptible. This is the primary contrast. Uh, Out of the four, this is the one Paul will focus on as he moves forward in chapter 15. This will be the only language he uses in verses 50 to 57 uh, as Paul explicates the necessity of our transformation. In fact, he'll write in, in verse 50 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Okay, but what about this perishable versus imperishable? Uh, My guess is that no one listening to this over the age of 30 will argue that our bodies are not perishable. Uh, They're even now dying. They are even now slowly degrading. Uh, As Paul writes elsewhere, our outer self is decaying, is wasting away. And, And listen, can we just be honest? Our culture despises this fact, don't they? Uh, Think about it. Our culture produces, creates, and offers a thousand different remedies for the inevitable process of degradation that our physical bodies experience every day. Diets, exercise programs, surgery, pills, creams, you name it, our culture will produce it and sell it in order to hide the inevitable process of degradation that our bodies experience. But guess what? Our bodies are still perishable. Uh, Try as we may, cells die, bones ache, organs fail, physical bodies inevitably perish. We recently took part in a parade for my grandmother, my mama, who's in Hilliard Life Care, right? And it was a joy for us to minister to those shut-ins and the elderly. It was a joyous occasion. But it was also an opportunity to face that the inevitable consequence of that many years on a body. The movements that we would take for granted in our younger years are produced with either great effort or not at all. Friends, we know this. These bodies are perishable. They have a shelf life, if you will. And I want to take this opportunity to exhort us to uh, avoid participation in the conspiracy plot of our culture. Uh, In an attempt, uh, this is what it is. This is an effort to deny this reality that our bodies are perishable. Listen, the curse is real. 
Our outer selves are wasting away, and, and you shouldn't hide it. You don't have to hide it, let me say that. And don't hear what I'm not saying, by the way. I'm not saying that we should not take care of ourselves. Quite the opposite. We should take care of ourselves. We know that these bodies matter, and we should take care of them. Nor am I saying that you should completely disregard your physical appearance. There is nothing wrong with making ourselves look nice. It'd be super easy to take something like this to the extreme, wouldn't it? Right? One might say, I could testify readily to the, 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 the decay of my body if I were to stop wearing deodorant. I mean, then people could really smell my decay if I get within even a few feet of them. Listen, please don't stop wearing deodorant, okay? Please, for your pastor's sake. I simply just want us to challenge our motives in all this. Search our hearts and avoid participating in the great charade of our culture. You have an opportunity to bear witness to the perishable state of our bodies. You can and should age gracefully. We do not need to pretend that these bodies are imperishable because our hope is in Christ and it is sure. We don't have to pretend because we really will receive imperishable bodies when Christ returns. Uh, the world pretends because they sense that there is something terrifying wrong with their bodies, that they're decaying. There's something that's terrible about that. They get that. There's something wrong with that. They're right about that, but their solution is wrong. The answer, friends, it's not in hair coloring and Botox. The answer is faith in Christ and hope in his return. That is our hope. Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 8, verses 23 and 25. He says, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So listen, friends, we're not there yet. We groan inwardly, we're, we're decaying outwardly, but we never lose hope. Uh, these perishable bodies will be made imperishable. And, and that's the first contrast we see from the Apostle Paul. These perishable bodies, they will be made imperishable. And that's good news. It's worth celebrating. Let's look at the second contrast now. This is found in the first sentence of verse 43. The second contrast. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Remember, he's talking about our resurrected bodies here. It was sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. Our dishonorable bodies will be transformed into glorified bodies. Sown in dishonor. That also could be translated as disgraced or shame. Uh, raised in glory. That is a, a state of righteousness. It's a display of that. Glory can mean other things, but in this context, specifically, glory here means raised in a state of righteousness. Uh, the ESV study vital, Bible suggests that dishonor, that word dishonor has to do with appearance, that our present bodies are unattractive compared to our resurrected bodies. And, and while there may be an element of truth in that, I don't think that's the Apostle Paul's main point here. I believe that the dishonor is that these bodies carry the mark of the curse. 
That's the dishonor. I, I believe that the dishonor is that these bodies, they carry the mark of the curse. That is, our bodies are perishable, weak, and natural because, because we have transgressed God's law. We have broken covenant with God, and we've received in our bodies the consequences of our guilt. We've received in our bodies the marks of the curse. So our bodies are sown in dishonor because they testify to our shameful treason in the Garden of Eden. Catch that. And I believe this is what Paul's trying to say here. While it's true, there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. While that is true, our bodies still carry the dishonor and shame of our guilt. That is part of this already not yet paradigm that is so pervasive throughout the entire New Testament. Our bodies are sown in dishonor, they are cursed, and they still carry the effect of our guilt before God. In short, our bodies are unrighteous. Yet, hear me, at the same time, it is also true that we're justified. Uh, meaning we're not guilty. We are righteous in the eyes of God. Not because that's the actual case in our physical bodies, but because Christ's righteousness has been imputed. It's been given, placed on us. His perfect obedience has been given to us through faith. So we're sown in dishonor, but we're raised in glory. We'll be raised in the actual state of our righteousness. When our bodies are raised, God's declaration that we are righteous will match the actual state of affairs for the very first time. He will declare us righteous, and we really will at that time be fully righteous. Allow me to offer an illustration to help you kind of understand what I'm saying here. If you can imagine, uh, just imagine we've gone before the judge. The judge has declared us guilty, and we are sent to prison. Uh, the judge, after our imprisonment, he has acquitted us, not because we've paid the penalty, but because someone else has paid the penalty on our behalf, and we have been acquitted by the judge, but we're still wearing our prison garments. Uh, this body is like a bright orange jumpsuit. It's a constant reminder that we were prisoners. We were tre treasonous rebels who were guilty of horrible, wretched crimes against a benevolent king and humanity. We were created for a body of glory. We were created for a beautiful garment that would remind us of the victory of our king and the loving faithfulness of our God. But this body stands in stark contrast to that body. See, if you've not been rescued by the, the Lord Jesus Christ from the guilt and power of your sin, then your orange jumpsuit is a constant reminder of your actual state before God. Your body is dying because of your sin against God. You've transgressed the law. You're a covenant breaker. Your body is decaying. Your experience in your body even now is a foretaste of the eternal death that awaits all those who continue to sin against God and reject his rightful rule over your lives. But hear me, you are not without hope. Uh, Christ put on our dishonorable body. Uh, though he never sinned and he never broke a single law, Jesus wore our orange jumpsuit. He deserved a glorified body, but he received a shameful one so that he could die in our place. So he could pay for our sins. 
So he could free us from the guilt and power of sin. He took on our dishonorable body, our orange jumpsuit, so that we might be clothed in a glorified body like his. And if you're hearing this for the first time, if you have no hope of receiving a glorified body, I exhort you to cry out to the Lord. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he is who he said he is, that he has done what he said he was going to do, that he has died for our sins and being raised for our justification, that you would repent of your former way of life and you would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our prayer. And so we see the second contrast here, shown dishonorable, raised in glory. But look at our third contrast that comes to the second part of verse 43. Look what it says here in the second part of verse 43. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Our bodies will be sown in weakness and raised in power. Again, the Greek word translated weakness here, it can also be translated as sickness, illness, uh, disease, uh, but it's translated weakness here because this word goes beyond those things. Uh, it appoints to our experience in a broader sense. Uh, with these bodies, we endure things like persecution and assault. With these bodies, we experience hunger, thirst, and exhaustion. With these bodies, we deal with our own frailty, imperfections, our temptations, and proneness to wonder. These bodies are sown in weakness. In fact, remember, Paul refers to these bodies as jars of clay. Think of that. Jars of clay. If you're carrying a jar of clay and you drop it, what happens? It shatters. It breaks. It's fragile and it's weak. So Paul writes immediately after the reference of our bodies being jars of clay, he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. In other words, we are weak, but the Lord is strong. We are sown in weakness, but we will be raised in the power of God. Elsewhere, Paul refers to this body as tents and houses, as he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 2 and 4. For indeed, in this house, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Again, the picture of a tent is a picture of weakness. It's not a brick building. It's a tent. What happens to a tent when the storm comes along? It's blown down, and it's a picture of weakness. Our body is sown in weakness, but it will be raised in the power of Christ. It will be raised the same way Christ was raised. God will overcome all of our weakness, and through the power of Christ, he will accomplish this. The same power that raised Christ from the dead will liberate us from this body of weakness and transform this body into a spiritual body, which will bring us now to our last contrast. This is found at the beginning of verse 44. This is the last contrast Paul uses here. He says, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. It is sown a natural body, it will be raised a spiritual body. Our natural bodies will be transformed into spiritual bodies. Here, Paul employs two adjectives, natural and spiritual. And he does this to describe the body and contrast its two modes of existence. One mode of existence belonging to this age and another mode of existence belonging to the age 
to come. Uh, the use of natural, the word natural to describe the body, it, it would have been readily accepted in Corinth. Remember, this letter was written to Corinthians and they were wrestling with the idea of spiritual, meaning non-material, spiritual, meaning good. Everything spiritual was good. And it, it was grounded in Greek thought where the physical is part of the problem, if not the problem as a whole. And so the material world is bad and the spiritual world is good. So when the Corinthians would hear natural, they would think physical world rather than spirit. They would think worldly and they would readily agree that our bodies are natural. But that's not the case in describing the body as spiritual. That would have signified a, a great shock value hearing this in Corinth. Especially for those who are denying the resurrection. Many of the Corinthian church would have understood the spiritual to stand in stark contrast to the physical, specifically the body. Uh, to their eyes, a spiritual body would have been an oxymoron. It would have been something like saying a little giant or a holy devil, probably more accurately in this point. It is no doubt for this reason that Paul actually inserts the word body back into the explanation. Uh, the word body had not been present in any of the other contrasts. Did you notice that? It's just been simply sown perishable, raised imperishable. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. But here he goes beyond just those words and he actually inserts into the argument the word body. Why? Because I don't think the church at Corinth naturally got there without him emphasizing that spiritual is an adjective. I, I'm referring to bodies, Paul says, real material bodies. And so what does Paul mean then by spiritual body? What is, what is that? What does that even mean? What does he mean by spiritual body? Because even for us, I, I think it's a little difficult for us to imagine a spiritual body. Spirit for us makes us think of non-material, doesn't it? Well, interestingly and extremely pertinent to our, our understanding of what Paul means in this text, Paul uses the same adjectives in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and following. Paul contrasts there the natural person with the spiritual person. The natural person who does not understand the things of God and the spiritual person who judges all things according to the mind of Christ. So the natural person doesn't listen to the Spirit of God. The natural person does not heed the Holy Spirit's instruction. The natural person continues to live according to the flesh. The spiritual person, on the other hand, understands and obeys the Holy Spirit. The spiritual person loves the law of Christ and lives according to it. So in chapter 2, verse 14, this is how Paul uses these adjectives. The natural person and the spiritual person. And in the same way... He applies the adjectives here to our corporal material bodies. This helps us understand this current contrast, right? Our natural bodies, they're prone to wander. Now, don't get me wrong. These bodies belong to the present age, yet we are redeemed. Those of us who belong to Christ have gained redemption, and it has implications now for our natural bodies. Yes, we, even in our natural bodies, are already freed from the power of sin. Even so, here's his point. We do not yet have spiritual bodies that follow Christ perfectly. 
As Christ said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our natural bodies still house ungodly passions. They're still plagued by sin and carry the the scars of past sin. Listen, this is an important piece of your biblical worldview, your understanding of who we are. Christian, many addictions that controlled us before we were saved, they still lurk around in our flesh, do they not? Don't those same addictions tempt us to return to our vomit, to use the old Proverbs language? Many images we took into our minds before the Lord rescued us are still engraved in that cerebral hardware of ours. Christian, many unrighteous patterns of relating to other people that became habitual long before God rescued you from the pit and gave you a new heart, they're still active in the way we interact with people. They still influence our behavior at times. But Christian, please hear me. This will not always be the case. And praise God, the resurrected body will be a spiritual body. This is referring to a body that is in perfect submission to the Holy Spirit. A body that is always full of the Holy Spirit, as Paul exhorts us to be. The spiritual body is a spirit-led body, no longer prone to wonder or prone to perverting its passions. No longer returning to its own vomit, asserting itself or manipulating others. Or experiencing any other sinful word, thought, or deed. I'll tell you, for many of us, that should be extremely encouraging. The spiritual body has the mind of Christ. And even so, as I said earlier, the spiritual body still is a physical body. In fact, it's the same body we currently have, transformed by the power of Christ in complete subjection to the Holy Spirit. That's the perfect body. And so in short, the spiritual body desires nothing but God's will. Uh, Loving your neighbor, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, these things will be natural when you have a spiritual body. And this is what Christ promises to accomplish for us. What a glorious day it will be when all the saints are adorned in their spiritual body. Uh, Finally, Paul gives us one more concluding statement, and I'll conclude with this as well, at the end of verse 44. He says, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Remember, everyone in Corinth would have readily agreed we've got natural bodies. That was a given. So so Paul uses this point of agreement to assert that there is likewise a spiritual body. If If there's a natural body, then there's a spiritual body. In essence, Paul writes, as surely as we are living in our natural bodies, our resurrected bodies will be spiritual. I can't help but point out again, there is a great irony in this contrast, right? Remember uh, that those who are denying the resurrection were claiming to be spiritual. Their denial of the resurrection is actually evidence that they still had natural bodies. Uh, They're prone to error, prone to arrogance, prone to ignorance and pride. The very thing that they are denying is the exact thing that they need the most. They needed spiritual resurrected bodies. They're natural bodies, and if they agree on that, therefore they'll be exhorted and forced to agree from Paul's point of view that there are spiritual bodies as well. And so let me conclude with this, as I said at the beginning. Uh, There are very few people who disagree with the statement that our bodies are not perfect. 
We know this. Uh, Even those who are the most arrogant about their physique know deep down there is something wrong with these bodies. They are not perfect. But church family, we have the promise of God, the sure promise of God, that this is not the end of the story. Uh, When Christ returns, the dead will be raised in perfect bodies. They will not be perishable, dishonorable, weak, or natural. Instead, these bodies will be imperishable, no longer prone to decay, no longer prone to degradation. They will be glorified. That is righteous, always doing right, always in right relationship with God, how we were created to be. They'll be raised in power, free from all the weakness and frailty that we experience in these current bodies. They will be spiritual, full of the Holy Spirit, always walking in obedience to the Lord. This has to be our hope and nothing less. Friends, do you have that hope? Do you have that hope that one day the frailty and the degradation of your body that you may be experiencing now will be resurrected in perfection? What a merciful gift our Savior gives us in this promise. Let's praise him. And let's, let's not fall victim to the culture that, that thinks that this body is all there is. Let's rest in the hope we have in Christ because it is so much better. Let's go to the Lord and, and ask for his blessing. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for this word that you've given us through the Apostle Paul, through your spirit. We do thank you um, that all of us are aging. Some of us may feel like we're aging a little bit quicker than others as we experience the weakness of these bodies. But the inevitable slide towards decay, we recognize this. And and we recognize that more and more, uh, none of us can avoid the end of these physical bodies. That death is our sure end. If the Lord Jesus does not return before our time of our death, then that's all we're guaranteed in this earthly life. Lord, I pray then that you would instill in us a hope or a vision of what it would be like to be clothed in the heavenly dwelling as Paul referred to it here in our text. What it would be like to take on bodies that are imperishable, bodies that are glorified, no longer prone to weakness, that are spiritual, obedient bodies, Father. And for the first time, we will be fully human. We will be what you created us to be, honoring and glorifying you in all things enjoying you forever and ever. Father, instill in us that hope that we might face our slow decay not as those who look so desperately to cover it and hide from it, not as those who are ashamed of it, but instead as those who recognize we have a sure promise and a hope that far exceeds our light and momentary affliction. Help us now to use that even as an opportunity for the gospel. And for any who are listening to this who Lord, may not have the hope of a resurrected body. Lord, I pray that they trust in Jesus, repent, call out to him, and be saved. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, church family. I love you. Have a wonderful week. We hope to see you soon.